are all children, and you make us lovers of God, and lovers of you, through the, through, the, through the blood of Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you. Our hearts and our minds would be open to your word, and the Lord, your spirit would give us understanding. We praise you and we love you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated if you would. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to begin in verse uh, 21 this morning. Uh, Chad and Hope are on a much needed vacation this week, um, and we're so thankful that the Lord has given them time to be away together. Um, Thank you to Mike and Susan, uh, Hope's mom and dad. They're here with the kids this week to give Hope and Chad some time away. And so I, I would ask you to pray for their refreshment um, with one another as, as a married couple, their refreshment in Christ as they spend some time away. I know it was snowing pretty good in Montana, and so um, hopefully they're spending a lot of time just inside um, and resting. Uh, I wouldn't wish the snow on anyone. Um, it's a terrible existence. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> you didn't ask my thoughts on winter, but there they are. Uh, so we're in Ephesians 5. Um, I, I was talking with Michelle Smith this week when we were visiting and told her I was preaching, and she asked if I was going to get to continue in Ephesians 5 um, where we had left off. And I said, oh, yes. And she said, it somehow happens that every time Chad's out of town, we are to the trouble passage in, uh, in our series. Um, she was like, I think you're being set up. Um, but I, I said, no, Chad gave me the option to preach something that was not in this series, and I chose to keep going, uh, because believe it or not, it is easier to preach Ephesians 5, 22, uh, than it is to try to figure out where God would have me preach, and to give you context, and to, to try to exposit a passage cold in one Sunday. And so um, I'm, I'm excited to get to, to open the Word of God with you this morning. I can't help but have the words of the song we just sang earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal just reverberate over and over in my mind. Do we believe that this morning? That earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. Jesus has provided us wholeness, perfection, goodness in his death and resurrection and so today, as we come to this passage, we're going to talk about the brokenness of our world and its effect on our relationships. And we're going to go all the way back to where it started in Genesis 2 and 3, how God intended the world to be and how we have ended up in the brokenness that we are in. But as believers in Jesus Christ this morning, and maybe if you're not a believer in Jesus this morning, you're not following him, I want you to hear the lines of that song Truthfully, today I say to you, earth has no sorrow. There is no brokenness in this world that God has not fixed in Jesus Christ. And soon he is coming to reconcile all things to himself and all things will be subject to him and his authority. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let's read together. 5.22 Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he is the Savior of the body. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. Then he quotes from Genesis, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound. But I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve with a good attitude. As to the Lord and not to people, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. And masters, treat your slaves the same way, without threatening them, because you know that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This series in Ephesians, we've titled New because it is Paul's message to a sinfully broken people who have been made new in Christ. If you will back with me and look at Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 1, he talks about the previous walk that we had. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love that he had for us, he has made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works. So that no one can boast. For you are his, his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared ahead of time for you to walk in them. 
is really what this passage says. Paul uses this walk language over and over in the book of Ephesians, and he talks about your old walk, the sins, the disobedience that you once walked in, but now you have been raised up and seated with Christ and given all the blessings that are in Jesus. So now, as his workmanship, as his poema, as, as the original language says, his, his poetry his craftsmanship. He's, he's made you for good works that he's prepared for you to do. So walk in them. And then he just spends the rest of the book of Ephesians telling you what it looks like to walk in these good works that God has given you. See, the new walk, Ephesians 4.1 says, Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received with humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4.17, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. Ephesians 5.1 and 2, be imitators of God as loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and a fragrant offering to God. Ephesians 5, 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And this all leads up to Ephesians 5, 15, that kind of begins this thought that we're completing today in 5, 22 through 6, 9. In 5.15, he says, then pay careful attention to how you, we can do better than that. Pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making most of the time because the days are evil. You may be looking around, sitting here in, 2022 in November and saying, yes, Lord, the days are evil. We hear a lot of talk about, man, I've never seen it this bad before. Brothers and sisters, Paul wrote this in the first century. The days were evil then too. Turns out ever since Genesis 3.15, the days have been quite evil. So pay careful attention how you walk. So Paul says, the walk of the wise requires being filled and being controlled by the Spirit. In verse 18, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. This, the connotation here is be filled by or be controlled by, filled with, controlled by the Spirit. And then there's a colon at the end of verse 18. And so what follows is him explaining how to walk in the filling of the Holy Spirit. And there are four imperatives of a Spirit-filled walk. We discussed three of them last week. Singing songs to one another. Brothers and sisters, if we want to be spirit-filled, spirit-controlled people, we are called, commanded to sing songs to one another. And so Chad emphasized this last week. Men, in 21st century America, for some reason, it seems girly to sing songs. Probably because many of our songs for the last 30 years were girly songs. And contemporary Christian music was guilty of a lot of that. And so we want to be careful here to the songs that we sing. 
that they're not just Jesus is my boyfriend type love songs, but that we sing songs that preach truth. Truth that each of us need to live a spirit-filled life. And so when you're opening your mouth to sing on Sunday morning, you are not just singing praises to God. You are singing songs to one another. We are singing truth to one another. This is our horizontal relationship. We sing songs vertically to the Lord. Making music in your heart to the Lord. And then three, we're to give thanks to God for everything in verse 20. To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always for everything. Not sometimes and for the good things. We tend to like to read passages like that. I want to give thanks to God for the good stuff. But Paul says the spirit-filled walk involves giving thanks to God for everything, all the time. How we doing? I fail over and over and over again. I give thanks when I feel the blessings coming my way. I don't consider what James 1 says, that the blessings are often the hard things. And then four, the fourth imperative for a spirit-filled walk, this fourth command, he says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And many of our Bibles have a break there and has this little subheading, maybe wives and husbands, something along those lines. But remember, this is a letter written by Paul. There were no chapter and verses when Paul wrote this. It was one letter with one thought. And so this flows into, 21 flows into 22. He says, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And the original language actually says, in most manuscripts, leave out the submit here. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, wives to your husbands as to the Lord. Reads a little differently. So the submitting to one another is not just a general submission to each other. It is a specific command and Paul follows with what that actually means to submit to one another. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, let's address the elephant in the room. We really don't like the word submission. In fact, many of us hate the word submission. And in the year of our Lord, 2022, we really hate the word submission. And it has gotten to the point in our American culture that that we're telling children, don't submit to your parents. They don't know what's best for you. We have children raging each other through the means of social media, not listening to their parents, but listening to all the wicked worldly voices around them as an authority. But to live as a new creation in Christ means walking faithfully as part of the family of God. And the family of God has an order. The world order equates submission with subservient. Definition of subservient is prepared to obey others unquestioningly. The Bible doesn't use the word subservient. Paul doesn't say, wives, be subservient to your husbands. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. 
See, the biblical order defines submission as a lovingly yielding to the will of a servant leader who lays down their life for the good of their subjects. This is the submission that God is calling us to. And he doesn't stop at wives with husbands. He goes on to children with parents. He goes on to slaves with masters, or in our context, we could talk about employees and employers. Submission in the perfect world, we find it in Genesis 2. We're wrong if we believe that submission and authority comes from the fall. Authority and submission were in place, God's order, before the fall of Adam and Eve. In Genesis 2, we see that God creates man in his own image. And then he says, it's not good that man be alone. And so after having Adam name all the animals and seeing that none of the animals were going to provide to be a good helper for him, he creates a woman from man. And the order of the perfect world in Genesis 2 is God over man, man over wife, and both of them together over the animal world, over creation. He says, have dominion over the creation. But in Genesis 3, all of this is reordered and flipped on its head. See, Satan, in an affront to God, an attack on God's sovereign, loving rule, comes into the garden in the form of an animal and tempts Eve. And the woman gives in to the temptation and goes to the man and said, you should eat too. And so the man follows her lead and eats as well. And then God comes to the man and says, what is this that you have done? And the man says... Well, it's that woman that you gave me. And so now Adam blames God for his fallenness and for his sin. And so in just a few verses, in one conversation, Satan has reordered God's perfect order. We've gone from God, man, woman, animal, to animal, woman, man, God. And this is how we have lived for millennia. The rejection of a rightly ordered relationship is not a product of 20, 20th century feminism or egalitarianism. It is the result of one satanic lie. It is the consequence of one nagging question that Satan brings to Eve, and it's this. Did God really say? Did God really say? This question goes straight at Eve's heart. Satan in this question is saying, can you trust him? Is he trustworthy? Did he really say? And this is the question that echoes in all of our hearts. Every time we are called to submit ourselves to someone else, we ask the nagging question, can I trust them? I don't trust them. Can she be trusted? Can he be trusted? Can they be trusted? 
This is the question that reverberates in the heart of the wife who finds herself unwilling to follow her husband. This is what's in the heart of every child that won't submit to their parents' direction. This is why an employee thinks he should not submit to the authority of his employer. They can't be trusted. Or another way to say it might be, I know best. They don't. That's really what Satan's tempting Eve with. Oh, you, did God really say? No, no, no. See, here's what he knows. God knows if you eat the fruit, that you'll be like him, that you'll know good and evil. He doesn't want you to be like him. He likes keeping you down. He likes having you as his subject. Take and eat of this fruit. You'll be like God. You won't be anybody's subject. You'll have the same authority as God. We have this idea that submission exists because of sin, but in reality, authority and submission, rightly ordered relationship, they're woven into the fabric of a perfectly created world, and it is for our good. Here Paul shows how kingdom people are going to operate in a fallen world in order that God's glory might be displayed among the nations through rightly ordered relationship. See, Paul is all about our new walk. Don't walk like you used to walk in the sinfulness of your flesh, in the disobedience, the way the prince of the power of the air wants you to walk. No, 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 no. We're going to be kingdom people walking in darkness as people of light. And here's what it looks like to be a people of light. It means a husband and wife relationship is ordered the way God intends the relationship to be ordered. Now, the first thing I want to point out in this passage, verse 22 does not say wives or does not say, women submit to men as to the Lord. This passage is not a blanket command for women to submit to men in general. Paul never says that. Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. So, there are 12 verses that follow this statement. And out of those 12, nine and a half are addressed to, guess who? Yeah, not the wife, the husband. The wife gets a measly two and a half verses in this whole exposition. So all you men who are ready, yep, wives, <coughs> submit to your husbands. We're coming at you. Because Paul addresses the husbands. Wives, submit. Now, husbands, here's what you're called to. Verse 23. Because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of the body. Husbands, the husband is to be like our savior. You see, the church doesn't work to gain the approval of Christ. The church works out of love and thanksgiving for what Christ has done on her behalf. 
Christ is the Savior of the body. If you're here this morning and you're new to this whole Christianity thing, let me tell you this one thing. There's nothing you can do to make God happy with you. God, because of his great love that he has for you, did the work himself. And he says to you, rest. I've done it all. And so husbands... If you are going to be like the Savior, you don't call your wife to do more and more for you to earn your love, your affection, your attention, your devotion. No, Christ is calling you to be like him and say, I'm going to leave all of my comfort. I'm going to lay that down for you because this is how much I love you. You see how that would change the nature of our relationships? See how it would change the nature of the word submission? How many wives would have a hard time submitting to a husband who is laying down his life for her on a daily basis? She's not working for his approval. She's working because she loves him and she's thankful for the way that he serves her. Husband, you're to be like the Savior. The husband is to love, verse 25. Husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Christ loves his church. And we know from the scriptures that Christ didn't love his bride because she was lovely. Rather, the scriptures tell us when we were enemies of God. Christ died for us. If you want to see the kind of love that God has for his church, the kind of love that Christ has for his bride, I would encourage you to go read the book of Hosea. The story of a prophet who is told by God to go buy a wife out of prostitution. Marry her. Make her yours. Have children with her. And then Hosea, every time she goes back into prostitution, go in to the red light district and buy her back. And keep loving her. And God tells this whole beautiful story, painful, broken story to say, this is the way that I love my people. Husbands, do you love your wives like Christ loves the church? I would encourage you, if you've not read it yet, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. We gave away a lot of copies last year. If you need a copy, we still have plenty. Please let me know. I would encourage you men to read Gentle and Lowly. It's a beautiful portrait of the love that Christ has for his church and the love we are called to reflect as husbands to our wives. See, Christ serves his bride because he loves her. So I'd ask you, husbands, does your wife out serve you in your home? Well, pastor, you know, I work all day and I'm bringing home, you know, our, our money and such. And she eats because, you know, I work. And uh, she should just be thankful. And I get home in the evenings, I'm tired. 
And so, you know, yeah, she serves, she does laundry, and she feeds the kids, and she gives baths, and she puts them to bed, and she does all this, all this stuff. But, you know, I'm bringing home the bacon. That's not the call of Christ. Christ serves his bride. And he serves his bride in such a way that we can never outserve him. We can work our entire lives for the cause of Jesus, for the sake of others knowing him. And guess what? We will never be able to outserve him. His life for ours is something we can never outdo. So I would ask you, when you come home from a long day and you sit down and you expect to be served, is that how Christ operates? Are you serving your wife in such a way that she can't outserve you? We should outdo one another. This is, this is to the whole church. We should outdo one another in showing honor. So there should be a constant loving competition between husbands and wives. Doing as much as we can for one another. Serving one another the way Christ serves his bride. And ultimately Christ dies for his bride. So do you husbands lay down your preferences? Do you regularly lay down your desires? Lay down your wants for the sake of your bride? Or do you expect her to make all the sacrifices for your wants and your desires and what you see as your calling? Christ gives his life for his bride. In verse 26, the husband is to nurture and care for his wife's spiritual life. To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this, did what? Gave himself up. He gave himself up to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. We lay down our life for our wives, not just for some ethereal goal in the distance. Not just so that we can say we've had 50 years of wonderful marriage. Not so that we can give good advice to younger couples around us. We lay down our lives. We serve our wives. We lovingly give up our preferences and our wants and our desires to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. Husbands are to want their wives so desperately to grow in their love for the Lord. To look so much like Jesus that they're willing to sacrifice their, their time and their wants and their desires so that she would be able to spend time in communion with her Lord. That she would look like him. Jesus did the work at the cross so that we would look like him. Husbands, love your wives in this way. 
Look at verse 31. He quotes here from Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, there, there's a lot in this. We, we could say a lot about this passage. I think partially it is saying men are going to detach from their parental structure in a way that the wife is not called to. But if we understand this from the context of what we've just read, does Jesus not do this for us? For this reason, a man will leave his father. Jesus, very God of very God, the word with God, for all eternity past, clothed in glory and splendor, receiving the worship of the angels, leaves his father. He submits himself to the will of the father and disrobes of his glory. And he comes in the form of man, wraps himself in flesh, in order that he could die an undeserved death for his bride. You see, brothers and sisters, submission is not only not a bad word. Submission is what saved us. If, if your spirit wants to rail against the idea of submission, you are railing against the very plan of God for your salvation. Because Jesus deserved the worship he was receiving. You don't deserve worship. And Jesus left all of that to come and be spat upon and have his beard ripped out and to be mutilated beyond recognition as a man and hung on a cross for your sin. Submission saved us. So husbands, as we understand this text, if we are loving our wives, if we are being like our Savior, if we are nurturing and caring for our wives, do you think those two and a half verses of wives submit to your husbands are going to be very difficult to obey? Because of our sin, some days they will be. But let us not be the hindrance to them walking in obedience to the scriptures. If you ever have to utter the word submit to your wife, you have failed in your headship. If you ever feel that word about to come out of your mouth, you better look at the log in your own eye. When Christ came into the world, he did not come demanding submission from sinners, even though he is the one who could have. He could have come demanding worship. But instead, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and called them to follow.
Wives, what does it mean to submit to your husband? As to the Lord, trusting your husband as he trusts and follows the Lord. Believing the best about your husband as he follows the Lord. Don't allow the nagging question of Satan divide your marriage. Does God really say, don't you know better? I believe partly it's to honor and reverence your husband as you honor and reverence Christ. Considering that your husband, or considering your husband in your everyday decision making, what decisions would honor him? If we're to outdo one another in showing honor, what decisions that I'm making today would honor him? Am I considering his preferences, his loves, his desires? What decisions would say to him that you love him and have considered him? It's serving the Lord alongside of him. Allowing him to wash you with the word, but making sure that he has time to commune with his Lord and Savior. Submission is not being a good housewife. Baking cookies and rubbing your husband's feet are not submission. They may be ways to show love to your husband, but it is not what God is calling for when he calls for wives to submit. In fact, for some, these very things can be ways to manipulate their husbands. So our our question is always, what is our motivation? And our motivation is as to the Lord. Jesus has done this for us. He submitted himself to his father for us. Okay. So we see this in the husbands and wives relationship. He goes on, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Quoting from the the Ten Commandments, which is the first commandment with the promise. What is that promise? So that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. What does that mean? Disobedient kids die early. We laugh. It's the first commandment with a promise. And that promise is obey your parents or you die early. Now, am I saying that every child who dies early has been disobedient to their parents? Absolutely not. Am I saying, like the Proverbs, that there are general principles and there are general promises of God that maybe if you honor and obey your parents, you will have a longer life? Maybe it could be because you follow their wise counsel and their their wisdom. You're not walking as unwise, but as wise. And so wise people tend to live a longer life. They do things that lengthen their days. So you honor your father and your mother. You bind their teaching around your neck. You wear it as a garland on your head as Solomon calls his son to do. There's all kinds of Proverbs language in this whole thing. And for those of you who are in the Proverbs study, I hope that you're recognizing some of this. Paul understood all of these things. But again, just like the husband and wife passage, Paul doesn't stop at children do this. He goes right back at the dads. In verse 4, he says, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. If you're constantly doing things to aggravate your kids, to push their buttons, to somehow show your authority as father in the house, the king of the castle, if you're domineering over them, you're provoking anger within your kids. In the same way, fathers, don't stir your children to anger. But, and he connects this, 
Bring your children in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring up your children in the training and instruction of the Lord. Which means bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Teaching them the scriptures. Teaching them how God has called them to live. Will keep them from being angry, bitter human beings. Teach them God's word. You are responsible for the spiritual lives of your children. And understand this passage. It does not say, parents, don't stir up your children to anger. It says fathers. Now in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, obey your parents, plural, mother and father. But in verse 4, it says, fathers, don't stir up your children to anger. Because the spiritual life of your child falls on you. There are a lot of families where mom loves the Lord, spends time in prayer. She's spending time in her Bible. She's pushing scripture memory with the kids. She's with them all day. She's guiding them according to the Bible. But fathers, the responsibility falls on you. It goes back to what he just said. Husbands, love your wives. Wash them with the word. Are you caring for your wife as she cares for your children? Are you caring for your children? Do you take an interest in their spiritual life and them growing in the Lord? Then lastly, in five through nine, slaves obey your masters. We have this master and slave relationship. Now, slave is, is another word that brings up all kinds of emotion. There are a lot of people who misuse the Bible and say God was fine with slavery and what a, what a wicked individual God is that he would be okay with slavery. Paul describing how slaves and masters are to interact in this passage is not Paul putting his stamp of approval on slavery. Remember, we are learning how to walk as children of light in a world of darkness. Paul is simply recognizing what the culture is in the moment. What the situation in the world is in the moment. And he's trying to tell believers how to function in that broken, fallen, wicked system. And so he addresses slaves and masters. Slaves, if, if you're a follower of Jesus... You being a kingdom people in this broken world, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Now praise God we live in a day and a time where slavery is seen as an abomination. And this is not our situation in 2022 in the United States of America. We should be grateful. How hard is this truth that God is calling these believers to in this time? Obey your human masters. And for us, we see this relationship more in the employer-employee relationship. And so we want to talk about that a little bit. 
Obey your human masters with fear and trembling and sincerity of your heart as you would Christ. Your employer is an authority that God has ordained. He has put over you. It is no accident you are in your job. God has numbered every one of your days. He has ordained every one of them since before you were born. And so your job is no accident. Your employer is no accident. That boss that you can't stand is no accident. God has put him or her in authority over you. And he is saying to you, obey them as you would Christ. And don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ. Do God's will from your heart. It is God's will that you would work as to the Lord, Colossians 3, 23. And so as you obey your employer, your boss at work, don't do it only when he's watching, only when she's looking over your shoulder. We do it because Christ is always watching us and we work for Christ, not for man. We're not to be people pleasers, but to do the will of God from our hearts. Serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people. Who with a good attitude? Why do you have to add that? Man, I can, I can submit. I can do what I was told to do. But you're going to tell me I have to do it with a good attitude? First time, every time, with a happy heart. How many of you said that to your kids? Anybody? Something like that, right? First time, every time, with a happy heart. Because attitude matters and Christ cares about the attitude of your heart. He doesn't care just about your external appearance to others. He goes at your heart. So serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people because they can't see your heart, but God searches your heart and he knows your attitude. Knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, here's the promise. He will receive this back from the Lord. He's saying, you don't, you don't work for them for a paycheck. You don't work for them to please them. You work for them because God has called us to work. He creates Adam in the garden to cultivate and to keep the garden long before the fall happens. We work because we are created in God's image and God works. And he says, if you do that with a good attitude, you're going to receive back, not, not from Dow Chemical, not from BISD. You're going to receive back from me. And I got way more stuff than Dow Chemical. I've got way more good things to give to you than BISD. And then he doesn't stop there, does he? Because he never does. Masters, employers, bosses, supervisors, treat your slaves the same way without threatening them because you know both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him so Paul finishes this passage reminding us that in all these roles that he's given us husbands is an authority over wife parents over children bosses over employees he comes back to 
because your master is seated in the heavens. See, you are in submission as well. And this is how God intended it to live as rightly ordered people in rightly ordered relationships within his world. And as we do that, people will see the kingdom of God and the will of God being done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that we would live in such a way that we reflect the glory of God and the way he's ordered the world to be. And ultimately, that we would see Christ and his kingdom come and everything would be subject to him, the kind, sovereign, loving king that we all long to serve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this text this morning. There are many hard things in here because our world would rail against the order that you have set in place. Satan and his minions would tear down all of the beauty that you have created in this world. And they would tempt us to disorder our lives by disobeying your scriptures. But God, I pray that by your spirit, we would walk in this new way with rightly ordered relationships that serve for our good and your glory. That we would lay down our lives for those who you have placed us over. And that we would willingly submit to authorities, recognizing that those authorities have been put in place by you, not by us. That you would silence the lie and the whisper of Satan. Did God really say? We thank you for the kindness that you've shown us in Christ Jesus. That while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you made us alive together in Christ. <clears throat> and it's by grace we are saved. And it's for this grace we give thanks. In Christ we pray. Amen.